Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools are here every Saturday at noon to defend and to promote public education. And as we say every Saturday afternoon, that is education that's public in purpose and outcome. It is public in access. It is accessible to all children, to all teachers and to all cleaners and to all people, principals, whoever works in a public school or is there to learn. It should be public in ownership and control and it should be the only one that's publicly funded because it is the only system that can be publicly accountable. And if our governments were really democratic governments, then they would make sure that every child in this country of ours received a first-rate public education for all of the years that they wished to learn. Well, we know this is not the case, but isn't it an ideal that is worth fighting for? Now, we have a website at www.adogs.info, and this is our press release 717. Even with Gonski 2.0 funding, Australian school spending is not high by OECD standards. There's a new analysis by the Grattan Institute, which has had some traction in the Australian Financial Review in the last week. And this research overturns the conventional wisdom that Australia's school spending is high by international standards. Surprise, surprise. Even after the $24 billion funding boost to schools from the Turnbull government's Gonski 2.0 package, Australia's school spending remains in the middle of the pack of OECD nations. This analysis shows that after Australia's large proportion of school-aged children is factored in, because there's been a lot of children in the labour wards since the turn of the century, the off-cited high level of Australian school spending as a proportion of GDP melts away. With 166 school enrolments per 1,000 population, Australia is above the OECD average of 147 per 1,000 population. So Australia will still spend less on school education as a percentage of GDP than countries like Finland, Norway and even New Zealand, all of which outperform Australia in the benchmark test of school achievement, namely the OECD's Program of International School Assessment, PISA. 
It also shows that Australia's school education spend is at a similar level to many other countries which outperform Australia in most parts of the PISA test, including Japan, Germany, Canada and South Korea. The only two OECD countries whose school spending is well below Australia are Mexico and Turkey. Because Australia has a high level of private spending on schooling compared to other countries, in order to give the fairest comparison, the figures count both private and public spending. So it's not just the public spending that has gone into these Grattan Institute uh, figures. It's the private spending, namely all of the fees that the parents are putting into the various schools in Australia, including, by the way, our public schools, which are not genuinely free. Uh, so only, if only public spending on schooling was used as, as a comparison and you forgot about the private spending, Australia's school spending is well below the OECD norm, even us after uh, this so-called big Gonski 2.0 boost by Mr Turnbull. Dr Goss from the Grattan Institute has said that because Australia would be close to the OECD norm after this new injection of Gonski 2.0 school funding, any additional school spending would need to be justified. Let's stop arguing about it, he said, given that our total spending is about right. Let's make the best of it. Well, dogs don't necessarily agree that it's about right and they certainly think, they do agree with him, that the kind of spending that we're doing, particularly on the private sector, needs to be justified. Uh, they, they do agree that we should look very carefully at where it's going, especially when it goes to inefficient sectarian schools that duplicate, triplicate, quadruplicate, and in some cases, they even replace public school facilities and deprive a large percentage of Australian children of educational opportunities. So that is our press release for this week. Press release 717 at www.adogs.info. And uh, we'll have a little break now, and then Robert has got something that he would like to say.
Welcome, ladies, to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast on the WWWs. Thank you, Jean. As always here, we are the defenders of government schools, and Jean always kicks off with interesting news, certainly a press release, but interesting news from around the world. Um, closer to home, um, and I think it's interesting, um, we are not the only state school advocates in the country. Um, there are other organisations, and in fact there are other individuals who have been fighting for the benefit of state schools for many decades now. Yes. However, many of them um, have dealt with, with, with what they would, I think, call the world of real politic, which is, well, you can't stop private corporations and, and, and religious institutions getting taxpayers' money, so what we need to do is make the best with what we've got. The dogs are always interested in not just the possible, but what appears to be the impossible. We remember that we went to bed in 1989 one night, and uh, the Berlin Wall was up, and when we got up the next morning, it was down. And so there is the idea that either in the short term or the long term, um, public provision for private education will cease in Australia. Um, it could happen overnight, but maybe that's the truth. Maybe Jean's right. Maybe... Public funding of private education is like the Berlin Wall. One day it'll just be gone. There's um, a lot of disquiet just bubbling around along under the surface in Australia, especially when we look at places like Finland and Germany and China. Well, there, there's alternatives. We live in a much more connected world, and what goes on in the extremely parochial world of Australian education extremely practical, has become more and more exposed to this broad audience, which is the planet, you know, this little blue blue disc floating through the darkness of space. Um, there are other people on this little planet doing things very differently, more efficiently, more effectively, and certainly more accountably than we do here in Australia. Now, several of these advocates that have been running effectively and powerfully, but in parallel to the dogs in terms of advocacy, have been Chris Bonner and Bernie Shepherd. Now, unfortunately, Bernie Shepherd passed away several months ago, and vale to him, he's been an extraordinarily effective campaigner for public education over the years. But Chris Bonner is still around. And Chris Bonner um, has, well, he's done extraordinary work over the years. Mm. And I'm just going to, to share with you something he's written lately, which could be one of Jean's press releases. It really could. The differences between what he is saying and what we are saying now are so small as to say that, I don't know, maybe maybe it's a triumph of reason, maybe it's a triumph of logic, maybe it's a triumph of common sense, I don't know what it is, but there really is only one solution to the education problems of Australia. And... and, um, and Chris Bond has highlighted in an interesting article, he's, he's written actually, um, for the Unite for Quality Education website. Now the Unite for Quality Education website is a new website actually, it's been around for a while but it's starting to get some very interesting, interesting articles and of course Chris Bonner is one of those people writing. And he has had what I have had which is an experience that when you go overseas... When you travel the world and people ask you, and you know, I've been an educator for many years, and people ask you about, so how are things done in Australia? You really have to say, oh, have a cup of coffee, sit down. There is no way I can tell you this <laughs> in, in any short, short, simple, sort of effective way of, of saying it. You need to sit down and have a listen because it's ridiculously complicated. Now, I've had this experience when I've travelled to the States and, and, and certainly in Europe and, and in Africa. And people go, what? You, you do what? What? But that's just silly. Um, and Chris Bonner sort of neatly summed up this when he says that 
Whenever he goes overseas, he's often asked how, how in Australia we provide and fund schools in, in, in this little island down in the south of the Blue Planet. He says it's hard to explain because it's complicated and at odds with practice elsewhere. In fact, it's at odds. It's different to anywhere else on the planet. He says it's a story about the failure of policy supported by mounting evidence that our large private sector is a grand experiment <laughs> that's failed. State aid has now, failed. Yes, thank you, Jean. Um, look, Australia, I mean, and this is just a bit of potted history and regular listeners will know what I'm talking about, but if you're new, this gives us sort of a background. Australia has long had private schools, and Jean can tell you they've gone back centuries here on this continent mainly Catholic and also high-fee Protestant schools. Now, we began as a country publicly funding them about half a century ago, but at the same time allowed them to retain their private status, a rather uniquely Australian approach. Now, in the early years, the funding was not sufficient to run the schools, so the private schools still needed to charge admission fees to bring them up to the standard of public schools, initially. But if we fast forward to 2017, if we fast forward the 50 years that we've been given public money to private schools, the system's now been turned completely upside down. We now have close to fully funded private schools, which are still charging fees, something which has taken their total per student resources to levels far above the public sector. And their fees are arguably now just icing on a publicly funded cake. But fees, apart from just enriching the schools, have another function, which has actually just distorted Australian schools and, over the generations, distorted Australian society. They act as an enrolment discriminator, ensuring that the fee-charging private schools enrol the more advantaged in every community, in every town and every suburb. In effect, Australia has created a socio-economic, socio-educational apartheid system. What else did they expect? We said this would happen in 19, the 1960s. What else did they expect? Um, well, I'm not quite sure what they expected, Jean. I wasn't around then, but... This, but it was just obvious. Yeah, of course, so of course. Anyway, meanwhile, considerable attention is being drawn to the results coming out of private schools, which are noticeably better. And this is hardly surprising. The socio-educational background of families, communities and schools is a very big determinant on the results coming out of Australia's schools. The schools on top of the league table are those which enrol the most advantaged students. It's also hardly surprising that parents seek to enrol their students in such schools. Now, all of this is accompanied by the language of choice and competition and the trappings of a marketplace of schools, of something which was promised would improve school quality and student achievement. To support school choice, the Australian government under Julia Gillard, established a website which would help parents compare and choose schools. That website, of course, is the My Schools website. Now, this website almost certainly contributed, and I would say accelerated, the flight to advantage. But there was an interesting upside, a sort of side effect of the My Schools website. To create fairness in such comparison, the website includes for each school an index of socio-educational advantage. Anyone could now compare apples with apples among schools, but taking each school as a socio-educational advantage created by its enrolment into account when comparing the school results. Now, the data behind the MySchool website has enabled researchers, including the, the late Bernie Shepherd, and 
honour and ourselves at the do- here at the dogs to place a range of school myths under the microscope. We can now compare schools at many levels, including sector and location, looking at features such as enrolment composition, funding resources and how these are changing over time. Now, with privatisation, there is a myth and there is a reality. The most significant myth to be busted was the claimed private school advantage in measurable student results. When schools enrolling similar students are compared, there is no advantage to enrolling your child in a private school. I'll say that again. In Australia, when enrolling similar students, there is no advantage, educational advantage, when comparing private schools with public schools. So there's an awful lot of very insecure middle-class parents in Australia for the last few generations that have really been taken to the cleaners, wasted their money. Oh, where you have fear, you have, you have profit-making. Mm-hmm. Where you have fear. I mean, I'm, I'm, sure, Dale would, I'm sure Dale would agree. You know, as soon as you make people afraid, you can sell arms and guns to them. As soon as you make people afraid, you can sell um, some, some kind of private education. It's all the same thing. Where you, where you have fear, you have someone making money. Yeah, well, they're great distractions. So. Yeah, absolutely. But, like... This is not an unusual finding. The OECD has established this many years ago and recently pointed out that the advantage of public schools is that they save you money for this very reason. They certainly save the parents money. Our our forefathers worked this out in in the 1860s and then in the 1960s we went back on it. And when we tried to, um, in the 1960s, tried to say people look wrong way, go back, go back and learn from your forebears, uh, they just refused to do so. And uh, now we are in a real mess, there's no doubt about it. And Chris Bonner agrees with you, Jean. There seems to be no disagreement at all. He goes on to say that demonstrating this fact in Australia using school-by-school data, which is available to everyone, has proven to be a game-changer. Bonner, Shepherd, and the dogs have showed the results of comparisons not only for national testing results, but also for the final year of school in New South Wales, the biggest state. So this is your HSC results. This is the sort of pointy end. This isn't whiffly waffly primary schools, isn't it good, isn't it bad, isn't it this, isn't it that. No, this is your pointy end HSC results. It is now very rare for commentators or schools to make any claims about better private school results. They've stopped, which is nice. And we're also, this is Bonner and Shepherd, were able to examine some myths which surrounded school funding. Given the students were achieving much the same results as in public and private sectors, how much money was going into schools to produce these similar results? The answer is very different amounts. One of the features of Australian schools is the big total spend, with money coming from both governments and parents or on advantaged students attending private schools. For schools above the mean socioeconomic index, that is, you know, for the schools for the rich kids, the annual overspend can be anything up to $1,500 to $1,400 per student per year. The total overspend from all sources is around $5 billion in Australia every year. It's what we could do with that if yeah. it was channeled into the right places. Well, this is, this is overspend by parents. This is parents spending money they didn't need to spend in the first place. 
The public cost of private schools is now so high that it has challenged another myth, that the funding of private schools represents a saving to the public purse. And this is without counting costs created. For example... Never did. ...by economies of scales... And and here's here's Bonner using the argument that Jean's been using for decades, and by duplication uh, of publicly funded schools. Uh, finally, he's gone back to the 1860s. They worked it out then. Well, Chris says issues surrounding the public funding of private schools are not unique to Australia, but the message from the Australian experience is quite simple: don't go there. The expensive public funding of competition and choice hasn't delivered on its value promises. Australian egalitarianism, if it is real, or if it's still real, is far less reflected in our schools. The social differences which were once evident within schools are now reflected between them. Now, I think that's an immensely powerful statement, and I think that really gets to it in the nutshell. You can take away all the dollars, you can take away all the cents. I'm going to say that again. He says, the social differences which were once evident within a school are now evident between schools. It's now, you, you think, I mean, just, just dear listeners, you, you think back to your own experiences when you were in school, in primary school. And I don't know what school you went to. But back in the day, there were a very large number of schools where you would have poor kids and you would have rich kids in the same class, in the same school. They'd sort themselves out in the playground. Don't, don't you worry about that because kids are cruel. <laughs> kids are actually vicious. And so, you know, you get my friends and I'm going to talk to your friends because your friends smell and my friends don't smell and there's this and there's that and my daddy's got a new car and your daddy has, can't even afford a car. You know, that, that horrible. That would go on within the school. Now, that has advantages because that means you grow up in a school that reflects the world in which you live. You know about these things, and you know about them because they are part of what you live with. In Australia today, the romance of an egalitarian society, I firmly believe, has gone. It went a generation ago. It went strangely unmissed. The idea of a fair go is is, is just a stupid thing. It's all about choice and competition these days, and it doesn't exist in Australia. In fact, if you look at all the public policy arguments, those sorts of ideas aren't brought up. And if they are, it's just just cursory lip services. The idea of a fair go is gone. Now, all those kids who don't have any money are in the one school, and there's no rich kids there. And all the rich kids are in another school, and there's no poor kids there. That's what's happened. It's been a shift. The, the, the romance of public education, and a lot of people you know, that I discussed about this, oh, yeah, you know, the public education was great back in my day, blah, blah, blah. No, back in your day, that's gone. But, Robert, there's a bit of a problem here because people who are rich one week in Australia now can mm. actually be poor the next week. And here is the rub. Yeah. Here is the rub. There's no longer security. People screaming that they've run out of money and they demand that the government spend more money so they can keep their child separated out from the poor, smelly children they don't want their child to associate with. In fact, you even have people from various faiths demanding that their child of one particular faith be enrolled in a school of a different particular faith because, because that's their right within this world because they want to get the social advantage that they perceive from a private school environment. That was a very interesting case of a Sikh man with a little boy with a, uh, a turban who was uh, told that he couldn't attend a Christian school because of the turban. That was out in Hopper's Crossing. Yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's, it's all kind of case. strange. 
Now, you can only have those debates... Instead of take it to the Equal Opportunity Commission. Oh, good luck to him. But you can only have those debates if things have shifted, if things have changed so much that that makes sense in the context. It doesn't actually make sense in outside Hopper Crossing. It doesn't make sense outside Australia. I mean, if you take that whole question, that whole debate of a Sikh man demanding to have his child go to a Catholic school in Australia, which is publicly funded by the government, um, and it's a question of you know, head coverings. And, I mean, oh, no, you no, take it's that a fundamental to, Christian school, aren't they? Oh, well, no, I, yeah. I, I, what's yeah, the difference? Well, what's the difference? I don't mind. Mm. In, fact, in fact, it really doesn't matter. No. You, matter. you take that whole question, that whole article, that whole premise to anywhere outside Australia, and they go, what are you talking about? Mm. You crazy? What? And their first question would be, "All oh, right, so the government funds the the fundamental what? The taxpayers what? It makes no sense. Oh, and the school can get rid of any child that they want on the basis of whether they happen to wear a hat or not. What? And they're publicly funded. What? <laughs> it makes no sense to anyone outside the tiny little world of Hopper Crossing and the tiny little world of Melbourne, the tiny little world of Victoria, the tiny little world of Australia. But the thing that really matters in this context, I suppose, and I think it's interesting that we have decided that we're going to put all of the poor children in a poor child's school and all of the rich children in a rich child's school and call that choice and call that competition and call that a good thing. The one thing that matters more than all of this is that while we are sitting here fiddling around with funding models and Birmingham doing deals with the states and Sikh people suing Christian schools and all that sort of stuff. While we're doing that, the, the overall measure, the overall measure, the overall measure of how well Australian children are doing in terms of education is on the decline. The ship is actually sinking. We are doing worse compared to other countries in the world. Our education system is in decline in terms of student results measurable student results. Now, we all know about measure this and measure that. Well, they've measured it, and they've measured that it's getting worse, and it's continuing to get worse. And that's the real problem. Not only has our, has our education system failed in a social sense to bring us all together, to give everyone the best opportunity, it's failed in that regard. It's failed in the regard of, compared to other countries, we are now becoming stupider because of the stupid processes which we have. That's actually the big problem, and that's what Chris Bonner points out at the end of this very interesting article. Now, if you're interested in what I've been talking about, you can actually do some more research if you go to our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. But we have some other interesting things from the perspective of a teacher after these messages. This Sunday, 3CRs and Psychedelia will be broadcasting live from 2pm from the inaugural Students for Sensible Drug Policy Conference at the University of Melbourne. It is clear that we urgently need to change our current approach to drugs in Australia. Activism and advocacy are integral parts of the change-making process. Activism and advocacy can involve varied tactics and strategies. Learn what is effective in this space on Sunday. From 2pm, you'll hear the advocacy panel featuring... Nevenas Spirovska from High Alert. Matt Riley, Free Cannabis Community. Dr. Will Dragonic from Unharmed. Greg Hordica from Victoria Street Drug Solutions. In Psychedelia, live this Sunday from 2pm from the inaugural Students for Sensible Drug Policy Conference. Tickets for the conference and full program are available now at ssdp.org.au. mental health support from people who have been there? Wellways Helpline 
is a free and confidential service providing mental health information, support and referral advice. All our helpline volunteers are peers, people who have lived experience of mental health issues. If you are experiencing concerns with your mental health and well-being or supporting someone who is, call Helpline on 1300 500 Monday to Friday, 9am till 9pm. If you don't know which way to turn or who to talk to, call us on 1300 500. Wellways Australia is a leading national mental health disability support and community care organisation and a 3CR supporter. The Independent and Peaceful Australia Network presents War, Peace and Independence, Keep Australia Out of US Wars. Amidst an escalating threat of another major war breaking out, this timely conference will be held in Melbourne from the 8th to the 10th of September. The conference will address the struggle against US bases, drone warfare, peace as union business, US political and military influence and much more. For details and bookings, head to ipan.org.au or go to the Independent and Peaceful Australia Network's Facebook page, a 3CR supporter. And welcome back to the Dogs Program. This is the Dogs on 3CR 855 AM. And, yeah, we're the Defenders of Government Schools, and we're getting straight back into it now with an article from Murray Mulheron, who's the president of the New South Wales Teachers' Federation. And he's got his article here is entitled, The Mother Country Delivers. What is the relevance of the recent UK election for Australian teachers and our public education system? Quite a bit, I would argue. For almost 40 years, Australia has blindly followed the UK in its education wars. So many of the damaging education policy settings pushed by Australian politicians and many senior advisers have had their origins in the UK. The 10th of June edition of the Sydney Morning Herald carried a New South Wales Department of Education job advertisement for an executive director delivery with an annual salary of $287,580. Delivery? This is not an accidental word. It has no local origins. It comes directly from the UK, where Tony Blair championed the notion of deliverology so that a government reform agenda could be delivered. His advisor was a Sir Michael Barber, who even co-authored a book called Deliverology 101, a field guide for educational leaders. After leaving government, he worked for giant edu businesses such as Pearson and other corporations like the Boston Consulting Group. Barber is also a champion of for-profit schooling, chairing the Pearson Affordable Learning Fund, which establishes costly fee-paying school chains run on a profit basis in some of the poorest countries in the world, such as Ghana, Kenya and Uganda. These schools often, no more than tin sheds, employ unqualified teachers who read from a standardised curriculum script. But for the first time in decades, we are now hearing the language of fairness and equality rather than competition and choice returning to the main political discourse. At first, it was Bernie Sanders in the US presidential campaign last year and now Jeremy Corbyn as Labour leader in in the UK. And people, particularly young people, are excited by it. 
In the 2017 UK election, we witnessed the first serious pushback against neoliberal economic orthodoxy that has sought to divide the world into wealth producers and wealth consumers. The first effective politician to turn these concepts into policy was the former British Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher. Her political manifesto was founded on an uncompromising belief in the right-wing ideology of an unfettered market, the privatisation of state enterprises, the deregulation of financial institutions and opposition to labour rights and organised trade unionism. A former Tory education minister, she lost no time as PM in training her gun sites on the British education system. With the appointment of the extreme monetarist Keith Joseph as her education secretary, secretary, the battle lines were drawn. His view of public education was that it was a wealth taker, a leaner, not a lifter. In 1986, Thatcher appointed Kenneth Baker as secretary for state education. Thatcher commanded Baker to change the system and gave him a month or two to devise the policies and strategies. Baker set about the task of changing the school system with some enthusiasm unburdened by any knowledge, but very aware of how the politics should be played. The void created by an absence of any serious theoretical basis for the changes was filled by political ideology, motivated by hostility towards teachers and an enduring hatred of comprehensive schooling which continues to this day. The Conservative Party in this recent election called for academically selective schools for everyone. Think about it. Academically selective schools for everyone. No comedian could improve on that oxymoron. But this is the same party that said that all schools had to ensure every student was above average in test scores. Any hope that British Labor, upon returning to the government in May 1997, might reverse the damage was short-lived. New Labor's education policies were driven by the same old ideology of choice and diversity. Selective and specialist schools continued to be established to undermine comprehensive education. Blair reflected the same antipathy towards comprehensive schools as had the Conservatives. Labor began to... complete the destructive agenda established by Thatcher. Tony Blair's belief in market forces was as strident as Thatcher's. When asked what her greatest achievement was, Thatcher is said to have replied, New Labour. Under Blair, the Tory education agenda continued, with Mr Deliverology by his side for much of it. League tables were published, schools were named, shamed and closed. More academically selective schools were announced. Privatisation was encouraged, business became more involved and previous local authority roles were handed to private companies. Public-private partnerships were created and expanded role for churches and charities in education provision was encouraged. Under Blair, England's education system became even more of a marketplace with the opening of a plethora of competing religious schools, private schools, grammar schools, specialist schools, beacon schools, church schools, foundation schools, academies, and so on. Yet, what ultimately has been delivered? The UK continues to slide in international rankings. Teacher morale is low, schools are seriously underfunded, the curriculum has narrowed and children endure a battery of meaningless, high-stakes tests throughout their entire school life. The lessons from the UK for Australian teachers are there. 
We have to learn from the history of the last 40 years. We have to understand that ideas are not neutral. In short, the globalisation of destructive education policies is not accidental. Above all, we must continue to disrupt the agenda, just as we're doing with our TAFE anti-privatisation and school fundings campaigns. Thank you very much, Dale. See, it's not just here in Australia that the fight needs to be fought. Fascinating article. We'll be back with more um, after these messages. qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government funded primary school education and of a government funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. In the studio we have Jean, Dale and myself. Rob, uh, we're fighting for the defence of government schools because they need defending. Um, earlier in the program we were discussing the words of Chris Bonner and the ideas which have pretty much come around to the position of the dogs, which is that the whole experiment in Australia of funding private education has failed um, for economic reasons apart from anything else. Um, but now I'm going to share something a little bit darker a little bit sort of, I don't know, it's philosophically darker, but it's actually, it's, it's bad for children, and it's going on in Sydney at the moment. 
and I'm going to highlight the work of an academic, also an educational consultant, whose name is Vincent Blackburn. Now, Vincent Blackburn um, is an educational consultant who's written an article in the Australian Journal of Education, so he's very academic, he's very good. And he's done a, well, he and his other co-authors have done a study of 339 secondary schools across New South Wales. Now, he's an educational consultant, so what do you think he's measured? Mm-hmm. Well, as I often say here, in, um, here, here on the Dogs Program, if you want to do something well, there's three things you need. You need it to be accountable, you need it to be effective, you need it to be efficient. In that order, it has to be accountable, and if it's accountable, then it can be effective, and if it's effective, then you can start looking at efficiencies. So what's Mr Vincent Blackburn done? He's looked at 339 secondary schools across New South Wales and he's looked at their efficiencies. (laughs) And after that he's looked at their effectiveness and he hasn't looked at their accountability at all. Because Mr Vincent Blackburn is an educational consultant who lives in the world of Australia 2017, so what's accountability? All that old school silly red tape stuff. Sorry Mr Blackburn, I might be um, mischaracterising, but I don't think I am. Because Mr. Vincent Blackburn um, has done this, uh, this, 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 this study of a third of government high schools in Sydney and found that they are neither effective nor efficient, according to his study. Now, bear in mind what Chris Bonner said. He said, now in Australia we live in a world of a country divided. We have an apartheid education system. We've divided up the children into the haves and the have-nots. Now, in, in Sydney, for those people who don't know... Not completely. The middle class are starting to wake up in some areas, Robert, that you go for the state schools, and so they uh, are prepared to pay uh, an enormous amount for houses in that area. So it's not completely divided yet. No, it's not, but it's and a given. Those, yeah, it's a yeah, given. Yes, yes. Those middle-class aspirational parents are taking the, the whole system as a given. They're not going to change the system, mm-hmm. although there are some they're students... They're, the they're, they're playing the system. Now, of course, there are exceptions to every rule, and at the end of this program, I'm going to talk about the various schools and organisations in Victoria who are bucking the system, who have worked it out, and are now fighting, yep. not just for their children, but for everyone's children as well, kind of like us at the dogs. But to go back to this study... Now, for those people who don't know Sydney, Sydney's divided up into north, south, east and west. Mm. Um, in the west, um, that's, that's, that's the place where, well, if you ask a taxi driver to take you to Lakemba, they'll probably say no. In fact, it happened to me a couple of years ago. I was in the city and said, oh, can you take me to Lakemba? And they went, no, nope, not doing it. But perception is not reality. Just because the cab driver doesn't take you there doesn't mean you can't get the friendliest and nicest service and food in all of Western Sydney. Oh, actually, all of Sydney, quite quite frankly. Um, I'm, I'm a bit of a Westie myself when it comes to Sydney, so I'll stick up for it. But Mr. Mr. Blackburn went out there and he found out, because there are a lot of what they call low socioeconomic status people out there. English is not a first language. They don't have a lot of, not a lot of money and they want to send their kids to school. So they send their kids to the local school who are full, full up with kids from low social... You, know, you look at the My School website and you can see these, this is the poor kids' schools. And guess what? He's found they're inefficient. He's found these schools are terribly inefficient. He's written a report saying it's terrible. They're very inefficient. And then he went up to the north of Sydney. And for those people who know Sydney better than I do, um, the north is where a lot of the not-poor people live. <laughs> um, and if you go to government schools up there, there's a lot of not poor people enrolling their children in those schools. And guess what? They're more efficient. So, 
There you go. He hasn't talked about social consciences or he hasn't talked about the apartheid system. He's talking about, well, in economic terms, schools in the west of Sydney are inefficient, schools in the north of Sydney are efficient. <laughs> and apartheid is. Apartheid is inefficient. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> apartheid, in fact, apartheid is efficient. It congregates efficiencies <laughs> and it separates out all the inefficient people doing their inefficient things. That's what we're doing here in Australia with our education system. And so this academics come to measure it and said, isn't this terrible? In economic terms, all these schools are inefficient and, he says, potentially ineffective. Accountable? No, no, there's no, there's no mention of that. But he does actually also mention, and I think this is fascinating, he said, Mr. Blackburn said, a number of high-performing schools in the north of Sydney were also found to be inefficient, despite the fact that they had all these nice rich kids in them. He said more than 14% of schools in central Sydney, of course, were in inefficient and found to have eight hours above average, but the way they were using their money was considered to be inefficient. What are his terms of reference? Oh, it's fascinating. I'm, I'm, perhaps we can come back to that. I'm just uh, quoting now from an article from um, Palavi Singhal in the Sydney Morning Herald, dated August the 9th. And I think I might actually have a good look at this, good, good look at this article because I'd like to know his frames of reference. There's no question of accountability, and he is just, and this is, this is the thing that gets me, he's just assuming an apartheid system. He's just assuming the inequality in these systems, and then just measures it, not in terms of social change, not in terms of any other measure than economic, educational efficiency. Dollars spent for ATAR results popped out the other end. Dollar results, dollars in, Results out. Dollars in, results out. That, that is his measure. It's interesting, actually. The study also found that schools in the Hunter and Illawarra region had the highest average efficiency score, followed by schools in the country. Schools in the country, you get a much greater mix of socioeconomic status. So if you put the kids all together, poor and rich in the same school, you have a da -da 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 -da, more efficient system. So from in, even in economic terms, even in economic terms, which has got nothing to do with education, if you ask me, the efficiency of a school is strongly correlated by having the largest possible mix of rich and poor from, of, of, from all works of life, from all languages groups, from all places in a multicultural society. If you put the kids together, not only is it a social good, not only do you save money overall, but it is more efficient in economic terms as well. So I suppose that's a sort of a silver lining at the end. But the fact that such an article can be published in the Australian Journal of Education. And um, Mr Blackburn, I'm sorry if I've been trashing your name. I am going to go and read your article and I'll come back to you next week to see if that's exactly what you said because I'm only reporting on what someone's reported that you've reported, which I suppose in dog's term is not doing our research. So I will, Mr Blackburn, I will, Vincent. I, I will go and read your report from go to woe and see if that's actually what you're saying. I don't want to misrepresent you. But if you be measuring efficiency and effectiveness in schools and publishing an article based upon that um, without taking into account any other factors in terms of... Um, um, I don't think your research is... is well... He sounds like the, um, the New South Wales version of Kevin Donnelly to me. Don't know. 
Anyway, do you you do your research because we'd be very interested to see what you, as an education consultant, make of Mr. Vincent Blackbird as a proper critique. So let's (laughs) peer review. We'll have some peer reviewing here. (laughs) I suppose I am a bit peery. I've been peering at what he's saying, and it kind of disgusts me. Let's let's finish on something nice. Let's finish on something happy. Let's talk about our children, our schools. Our Children, Our Schools is a new alliance of Victorian community education campaigns. Our Children, Our Schools are a bunch of people that have got it. They've worked it out. They've probably been very clever and they've, they've listened to Mr Vincent and they've listened to Mr Bonner and they've listened to all the people and they say, hang on, what's going on here? This is not good for our children. So I think it's wonderful. Our children, our schools, not my child and my school. It's not the My School web school website, it's the Our Schools group. Mm-hmm. And they consist of all sorts of people from all around Victoria. There's the Public Education Group. There's the Richmond High School Choices Group. There's the High School for Preston Group. There's the Friends of Kyneton Education. There's the Fisherman's Bend Network. There's the City Schools for City Kids Melbourne. There's the Schools for Paran. There's Beaumaris School Community Group. There are two schools now. That's Port Phillip and Southbank. These are small, not small. These are powerful community organisations, powerful community organisations that are coming together because they see that public education is the only possible future to benefit our children. Now, there's many, many more. And if you are interested in public education, we're going to put these the, the list of schools involved in this network up on our website and just say it's our children, our schools. If you want to contact them directly, you can as well. It's at www.ourchildrenourschools, all one word, .com.au. But these are people who have worked it out. They've worked out the solution is not to pay money to send their child to a private school so that they can have a, an, an advantage in a competition marketplace with a zero-sum game, so if their child wins, some other child must lose. No, they're talking about our children, not just the ones that live in their houses, but the ones that live next door. And if you want to talk about... Uh academics, if you like, or education consultants who are interested in this group. Uh, the education consultant who is allied with this group is a gentleman called David Zingmier. And here's something about him. He's a senior lecturer in the Faculty of Education at Monash University. Uh, he, was, uh, he was a school teacher and he was actually a state school principal before he became an academic. Uh, he, in 2013, he was awarded an Australian Research Council Fellowship of 365000 to further research teachers' perception of democracy. And in 2014, he contributed to a submission for the Constitution Education Fund of Australia, which was presented to the Attorney-General, Senator George Brandis, on the issue of education for democracy. So... Um, this is a very interesting person. If you look, if you follow him on Twitter, he has interesting things to say. Uh, he's an education consultant for the Education Foundation. Uh, he was a principal, and um, he's now very firmly in the no state aid camp, looking at his letters to the paper and so on. So there are some very interesting people here in Melbourne. There are some interesting people all around Australia who are starting to come to the dog's position. But we've never changed. We've been the same for the last 40, 50 years. And eventually we know that we will get there because ideas are powerful 
and public education, education for the next generation, is the most important issue in our country today. But that's it for today. That's it for this week. Thank you for coming uh, or letting us come into your household so that you can listen to what we have to say. And we hope that people in your kitchen or your lounge room or wherever you have your radio next week at this time or your car. But we'll be back again, won't we, Jane? We have to be because the fight's not over yet. And if you want to find out more about us, you can just click on www.adogs.info, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools. That's us, and it's bye for now. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead.